Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Uh, thank you, Mike. Hello, everybody. I love that so much because Enoch is one of my favorite people in the Bible. I mean, if you look at the Hall of Faith, he became famous for walking with God. Like That's all you had to do was go on a walk with God. He walked with God and then was not. And he landed in the Hall of Faith. It's easier to please Jesus than we think. Huh. He's happy with a walk over and over and over again. So we're going to be in Romans 5 today. I just, um, I heard as I was just leaning into this morning, uh, hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. So we're, we're going to work our way there. And I was just reminded of, um, you know, Lindy, Lindy is like our Bethel Atlanta historian. So she's constantly remembering and putting in front of us who we are. And uh, she'll remind us often of a prophetic word we received that Bethel Atlanta is a house of hope. And that's who we are. A huge part of reigning in life is living with a hope that is alive on the inside of us. So we're, we're just going to talk a little bit about that this morning. What does that mean for us as individuals to be a house of hope? What does that mean for us as a family to be a house of hope? So whether this is your home this morning and you're here with us or you're visiting uh, the gospel is for everyone, yeah. right where you are, right? So let's just dive in. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. That what Jesus did gave us his righteousness. And we are now uh, declared as flawless in his eyes. So what that doesn't mean is that you are flawless. very many thoughts to back up. Might be one you're having right now. Uh, who knows? Lot, lots of options there of uh, thoughts that are full of flaws. Choices that are full of flaws. Uh, this does not mean you are flawless. This means his sight of you is flawless. His vision of you is flawless. The way that he sees you is impeccable. There is no flaw in the way that he sees you. 
that your God, the Bible says the God of all hope, the God who is hope, has never had a thought about you with a flaw. This means he's never had a judgmental thought about you. He's never had a thought with an evil motive about you. He's never had a thought that would diminish your dignity. Your God has a flawless vision of who you are. His, his perception of you is perfect. And when the Bible talks about we have been given the mind of Christ, right? It, it says no one has ever searched out the heart of God. No one has ever known his thoughts except the spirit of God. And so what is the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus made a way to give us his heart, to give us his mind, that it would no longer be uh, something that we don't have access to, but that we would have access to the way that he thinks. That your promised land is the mind of Christ. And how much of that land have you searched out? Because John 1 says, uh, he came to his own, but they were unaware of him. So the question isn't, what have we been given? The question is, how much have I possessed of what I have been given? We have been given the mind of Christ. How much of his mind takes up residence as my own? How many of your thoughts came from Jesus himself about you? How many of the thoughts that you think about yourself came from Jesus? This is our inheritance. And you know, a, a good indicator of, of where you're at in receiving the mind of Christ is how many of the thoughts that I'm thinking about this, myself and the world around me can I take out of my heart and put on the people I love most? How many of those mindsets can I give to my children's children that I will never say, that, I'm, that I'll never see and say, hey, think this the rest of your life, it's gonna blow you away. Cherish this thought the rest of your life, it's gonna shape and define who you are. Every single thought, Psalms 139 says, the thoughts God has towards you moment to moment right now, outnumber the sand on the seashore. And every one of them is originating from the, a God who is only good and only full of hope. How many of those have found a resting place in my mind, a resting place in my heart? 
And this perception of you, the way that the Father sees you without flaw, the perfect vision of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, is the source of your transformation. We all have experiences in our story where people's perception of us deeply wounded us. Where people's perception of us created in us an identity that felt worthless, without worth. That they, they came with the motive of a devourer, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against an enemy who is roaring the earth to steal, kill, and destroy the identity of the children of God. And we all have stories and experiences where that sense of worth, that sense of identity was completely annihilated. And the only life-changing, life-transforming power on the earth is this power of seeing the way that he sees you. That what Lindy's dream, that his eyes are pregnant with what needs to get pregnant inside of you. That the fullness of our identity can only be found by looking into his eyes and seeing what he sees. Let's keep reading. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into the marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. That our faith in Jesus has given us permanent access to this extraordinary kindness. The ESV translated this extraordinary grace. And you know, this, uh, this grace that Jesus is so full of is what John, in the Gospel of John, chapter one, he says, uh, Jesus is full of grace and truth. And you know, the beautiful thing about John saying that is he wasn't prophesying about who Jesus would be. He, he was declaring how he had experienced Jesus laying his head on his chest. And several times in the Gospel of John, we hear the way that John speaks about himself. And the way that you speak about yourself 
points to who is king in your life. The way you speak about yourself takes you back to who has the reigning authority over my opinions. Do I have the reigning authority? Does the world around me have the reigning authority? Or does the king reign in my opinion about myself? And several times in the Gospel of John, John speaks of himself by saying, yeah, I'm the disciple he loved. I'm the beloved. Because John was flawless? No. Because he got close enough to the eyes of Jesus to see his flawless view of him. I'm the one he loves. Who are you? I'm, I'm the one Jesus loves. Everything else is just details. And from intimacy with Jesus, from a relationship with Jesus, John said, ah, oh, he's the kindest person I've ever known. He has a capacity when you get into his presence that every part of you that's been diminished and lost its dignity gets worth restored. He treats you like you matter. He treats you like you're the only one in the room. He's full of grace and he knows the truth. And every other prophet Jesus said before John the Baptist, John the Baptist was greater than Isaiah. He was, he was greater than Moses. He was greater than David. Why? Because every other prophet was prophesying about what would be, who would the Messiah be, what would he feel like, how would he act, what would he do? And it was all declaring a future experience. But John the Baptist was the greatest because he held the line and said, he's here. He's here. Come, drink of him yourself. Come, behold him with your own eyes. Taste and see that he is good. He is full of kindness and mercy and truth, come, see it yourself. You need a mediator no longer. And Jesus said, every new covenant believer is greater than John. Why? Because your life is now a living prophecy. Your life, Ephesians says, is now putting on display Come be with me and feel what he's like. Come be with me and taste and see that when the world is spinning in chaos, he's at rest. And every new covenant, that, that's us, every new covenant believer is greater than John the Baptist because we are no longer prophesying about who Jesus will be. We are prophesying about who he is right now. You are the visual display of the living God in our midst. You are the body of Christ. You are the house of the God of all hope. And listen to this, sis, but that's not even all. 
This is the thing about the good news. It just keeps getting gooder. <laughs> Paul's like, wait, wait, there's more. Even in times of trouble, Where's your trouble? I hope you brought it all with you today. I hope you brought it all with you today because we got good news for trouble. So if you don't have any trouble, just stop listening for a second. Check out. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. Patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character. And proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy. The ESV says this hope does not put us to shame. Because we can now, right now, experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. So what Paul is letting us know is if you want a life that is perpetually returning you back to hope, that when you go to bed at night, you return to a home of hope, that when you receive your mail, your address is hope. That when you get dressed in the morning, the bathroom you brush your teeth in is hope. And if you want to keep returning back to hope as a dwelling place, you gotta have proven character. Proven character is what sustains a life of hope. And the only way to get proven character, there's so many things in the kingdom you can get in one moment. Paul's like, hey, I wish I could come lay hands on you because I would give you everything I've got in one impartation. We can get so many gifts. We can have life-changing encounters right here on this altar in a moment. And we're, we believe in those. You'll, you'll see us going after those all day long. And then there's things in the kingdom that you can only receive through patient endurance. You cannot get character in a day. Nope, nope. Patient endurance re refines your character. And the lifestyle of the kingdom being perpetuated from generation to generation passing the, the baton of reigning in life from one generation to the other requires character that's been proven. You cannot pass character on to your children. I cannot wait for someone else to give me character. Character is forged in a fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where it's us and Jesus walking around in what looks like a whole lot of disappointment. And they're like, nope, we're not gonna bow, we're not gonna bow, we're, not gonna, we're about to be pushed in. Even if our God does not rescue us, we will not bow. You cannot get that kind of refining until you make it 
demolish you. And nothing, not even a hair of their head was singed except the ropes that tied them and bound them. So much of your freedom is waiting in a fire that can only come from proving character. We have to patiently endure. There are no shortcuts to a revival that will last beyond us. There are no shortcuts to a character that is holy. And you know this? God is the God of all hope. And so much of what cuts off our development is a disappointment that we put on God that should be rightly attributed to outcomes we wanted that did not happen. Our God is not an outcome. He's a person. Hope is not a picture you can paint of your future. Hope has a heartbeat. Hope has a mind. Hope is living and breathing and beating inside of your chest. Hope cannot be controlled with your declarations. Hope does not disappoint because hope is not defined by what happens in your circumstances on the earth. When all your circumstances play out like you thought they were, they would, that does not define who your God is. When none of your circumstances play out like you thought they would, that does not define who your God is. Nothing on the earth defines God. He is the definer of the earth. And so much of our pain and our suffering has come from putting our hope in outcomes instead of in our God. And the trial, James said, count it all joy, start getting happy, rejoice, things are going to hell, everything's on fire, let's get happy. Why? Because all your idols are about to be burnt off your life and they're what's been keeping you stuck. And as soon as you allow your faith to be forged in a fire by saying, no matter what you do to me, you will not define who my God is. Throw me in the fire. I will not bow. I have a God and it is no one and nothing on this earth. Hope does not diminish your reality. Hope requires that you're living in it. And, you know, the... When Kylie, my oldest, was a toddler, she, I took her to the mall. I had Ava with me. She was a baby, which Kylie, she turned 16 this week. What? She can drive a car all by herself. And her 
uh, that whole group back there and Ava, one of their very best friends, Abby, came into town to celebrate. And so we've been having a blast all week. And Abby's parents are Jeremy and Naomi Connor, who are truly heroes to so many of us around here, giving people cars and grace, all, all type of stuff. When we first moved here, the Connors, we invaded their house. Anybody ever lived with somebody else with four kids under the age of seven? <laughs> that requires you to be full of grace and truth. And they were so generous to us. They gave our kids their first friends. And with our founding fathers, they paid a price with their generosity, their passion, investing into the heart of Bethel Atlanta culture. And even though they're not with us anymore, the fruit of what they invested remains. And we have so many heroes that have gone before us sowing into the seeds of who we are today that, you know, their pictures aren't hanging on walls because we've never had any, but they're heroes to us, and even though you might not know what they look like, they have given of their heart and passion for years to get us where we are today. And so as we even transition into a new season of Bethel Atlanta, one of the ways we honor those who have gone before us is we hold their sacrifice close. And we, we take them with us in the transition. And we literally realize we would not be where we are without who has paid a price before us. So we're honored to have her, their daughter with us this morning and this week. And so anyways, back to Kylie. She was like three and Ava was a baby, and we went to the mall, and there was a playground in the middle of the mall. You know, and how they very strategically put the pretzel shop on the corner where the playground is. And she, <laughs> I watched her, she was playing, busy, 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 and then all of a sudden, I see her like smelling. And she's like wrinkling her nose, and I'm sitting on the bench with the baby, and she's like, I smell something really good. And she could smell the pretzels in, you know, that corner little shop. And I'm just watching her and all of a sudden I see, she catches out of the corner of her eye a cardboard pretzel that's like 10 times the size of her body. And it's blinking. And so I'm watching her, because I'm a good mom, I'm letting this play out. And she sees the pretzel, her eyes get so big, and she just starts run waddling all the way over to the pretzel, and I'm watching, and she's just taking it all in. And then she leans her head over, and she licks the pretzel. And I'm watching, it's like, Oh, disappointment. <laughs> disappointment plus very confusing. And so she, she looks at it again. She's very confused. She leans over. She licks it a second time. <laughs> Same response. How can this be? So I'm, I let her lick it three times. <laughs> exactly like a pretzel. 
It looks like the promised land. Like this pretzel would take men on poles to bring it out of glory. It is blinking. It has signs, wonders, and miracles flowing out of this cardboard pretzel. And it is utterly disappointing. And listen, you can spend a lifetime declaring that pretzel become real and authentic and satisfying. And that's not what hope looks like. That's what a disappointing fantasy looks like. You could start being an evangelist for how all that fulfillment stuff was back in Jesus' day. It no longer exists today. Pretzels are actually empty, cardboard. You can become super cynical about how fulfilling and good and wonderful you thought pretzels would be, but they're actually not. You can actually create a whole theology around how everyone who went before you saying pretzels were wonderful were heretics. Hope tastes that pretzel and starts to look for the counter. <laughs> starts to look, where do I make the exchange? Where do I pay the price to live in what has been destined for me to live in? Where do I make the exchange? And when we present a gospel without of cost, we've left the message of Jesus. Because this is what he said, if you want real life, it's not going to cost you a season. It's not going to cost you money. It's going to cost your whole life. Your whole life is going to have to step up to that counter. And you find out the guy behind the counter is the door himself, Jesus and what disappointment is intended to do? Don't waste your disappointment. Because your disappointment is a revelation of where have I been living below what Jesus purchased? Where have I been living below what I know he promised is mine? And, and that disappointing experience is meant to push us to an exchange where I lay down my life and I give up my right to understand. I lay down my life and I say my unbelief, my reason, it will no longer be Lord of my life. I, I lay down every identity I accumulated in my life, letting others define me. And I say, I will have a king. His name is Jesus. I belong to you. And we understand I will no longer be the king of my own life, working so hard to control my future. 
A life of discipleship requires a life of radical surrender. I don't know how this is going to work out. But even if he doesn't, I will not bow. I will not bow. I have a God. And, you know, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is the tree of life. And listen, Jesus this morning wants to heal what's made you sick. Because hope is never in deferment. Deferment means it's, it's waiting. Hope that's on pause makes you sick. Hope that you're putting off into your future, some future day, I'll feel full of hope. That's a cultural definition of hope. It's a wish. And your wishes are making you sick. Because the, this Bible is saying hope will not put you to shame. And what shame is constantly shouting in our life is not yet. Not yet. Wait. Not yet. You, you got to fix that up. Oh, I mean, you're definitely not going to come before him like that, right? You got to, that issue disqualifies you. Work on that. Nope. Nope. And what did Adam and Eve do? They went, they hid themselves in shame instead of presenting themselves to their God. Hope is right now. Because Jesus is right now. And when you're putting your fulfillment in your future, you, you've just turned already? Wow, that was fast. That was great. I thought, wow, I'm really doing something right today. I, I, um, I'm, gonna, I'm going to land this plane real quick. But listen, the, uh, the desire fulfilled is the tree of life. So the indicator of if our God is our hope is if you've put fulfillment in your future. When I have this, I'll have peace. When I get there, I'll have rest. When this happens, when this relationship works itself out, when I get that raise, when I have this much money in my bank account, anything you've put your future hope in is your idol, and it will be a disappointing fantasy. The gospel is right now. Fulfillment is right now. The tree of life is not a what. It's not things happening in your life to fulfill you. The tree of life is a person. I am the way. It, it is a symbol of the source of life. And Jesus came pronouncing, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
desire fulfilled is Jesus. And the Old Testament prophet, Vanessa sings about this all the time. He's the desire of nations. When you pull back every human heart, what you see at the very bottom of us is a craving for a king just like Jesus, is the craving for a father just like Papa, is the craving for a helper, an intimate best friend just like the Holy Spirit, a desire fulfilled all things, beautiful things happening in our life are to be celebrated and attributed to the giver of every good and perfect gift. But how many of you have ever had the experience of a good and perfect gift causing gratitude to well up in your heart for about 48 hours and then the potential to complain about that good and perfect gift is waiting right there two days later? that those gifts cannot satisfy like the giver, the source. And every good and perfect gift we experience is meant to draw us in to the giver who sustains our character structure, who creates through patient endurance a place for us to become a house of hope, where day after day, no matter what trouble comes, I rejoice because I live with the person of hope. And in this hour of history, if you guys want to stand up, the temptation is to see the storms in our life that have storms, our storms, your personal storms, global storms, and want to invest our attention on studying the storms. And when the disciples were in the boat, their, their inner world was reverberating at the same measure of chaos that the storm was creating. And what patient endurance develops in us in the fire is the capacity to be in a storm and not become it. To not have to avoid, deny, demiss the reality of the storm, but to be in the world, but not of it. And when we find ourselves in a storm, the thing we become overwhelmed by is we go down into the cabin of the ship and we find a king who is sleeping. And we pull up a chair. I pull up a chair. I just imagine sitting there. I'm hearing all the chaos. I'm, I'm feeling water starting to hit my knees. And I'm keeping a steadfast gaze. He's not even waking up. This is what love looks like. You're in the boat, you're in the storm, and you're at rest. You're not concerned. You're not anxious. And we hold a steady gaze. 
We don't get lost in the chaos of the storm. We get lost in the ease of his spirit, the complete rest on his face. And we patiently endure until the beat of our heart is moving in the slow rhythm of his. I will not move my gaze until my face looks just like yours. Otherwise, when we open our mouth to speak, we sound just like the chaos, the anxiety, and the fear all around us. I will remain. If this water kills me and I drown to death, I will stay steadfast until my face looks like yours. So that when the weary world turns their head towards us, they see hope. They see permission. They see another option. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.